As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? All right, welcome in to Hear That Podcast Growling. I'm Paul Yner Jr. here with Jay Morrison of The Athletic as we uh, head through Super Bowl week and uh, Chiefs and Bucks on Sunday, but Bengals fans are like, uh, we're, we're have been in the off-season mode for two months. Is there a game this weekend? Do they play these games into February? No. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. You know, not just Bengal fans. It feels like, I mean, I guess it makes sense with the, the pandemic and everything, but it just, it it feels like there's some weight, some hype missing from, from this year's Super Bowl, even though it's a terrific matchup, uh, historic even, in terms of the quarterbacks. But it just, I don't know. It just, it feels, it doesn't feel like Super Bowl week yet. I will agree. I have a theory on this if you'll, in, I hate to indulge right off the top. But no. my my theory on this is football fans have become so obsessed on and it's cool. Like I love that the offseason has become more like the NBA offseason and there's so much attention on it and the the moves and the trades and the signings and the draft is like way, you know, it's just it's just it people care about it more, more than the season pretty much. And particularly when all the your teams that you follow are out of it and it's just the Super Bowl, I just don't think people care as much. Like Stafford Goff, that has just as much impact, and that everybody's already in that mode, already mm-hmm. in the off-season mode. Like the idea that games are still going on, like unless you're in Kansas City and Tampa Bay, I feel like fans just kind of check out on that because they don't care as much about that. They care more about the off-season and trades and free agents and the draft and, and all that stuff. You know, and it's it's really an interesting way I think that fandom has sort of shifted. Obviously, people still care about the Super Bowl and the games and all that stuff, but it's fun to watch. But I think just as a on the spectrum, it shifted so much more towards the offseason being more exciting, an NBA model almost, that you, you do get situations where the Super Bowl feels a bit forgotten by a vast majority of football fans. Yeah, I agree. And it will be it it will not be forgotten on Sunday. One I mean, once Sunday rolls around, no. everybody's gonna be excited to watch it and it'll it'll feel like a normal I mean, the, the other thing. 
with this year, I think that the reason the hype is down a little is like what what kicks off Super Bowl week? It's always those shots on Sports Center or anywhere else of the teams landing at the Super Bowl site and deplaning, and you're like, okay, here we go. They're they're in town for the Super Bowl, and that kind of kicks it all off. And then you have the the opening night or whatever they call media day now on Monday night. And that was, that happened, but it was all on zoom. So there's just, there's a couple normal elements that you see that kick off super bowl week that are missing this year. And it just, I don't know. It just it feels lagging. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, and it is different. Like, like so many years are, but Hey, we're used to that now. Yeah. Everything's um, different. Yeah. Everything's different. So we'll keep grinding. We got, we got a bunch of stuff we want to get to today though. Um, Want to uh, want to let you know we're gonna do. I hope you enjoyed our special growler episode last week uh, that we did, just based on everything Jay gathered down at the Senior Bowl. If you haven't heard that, highly recommend it. Also, there's a Bengals growler bet on the end of that. I'll have a reminder on what that is at the end of this episode too. But um, if you if you haven't uh, heard that or didn't realize it, uh, there is a special Super Bowl growler out there for you to potentially garner some delicious 50 West beer. Um, but I, ho- I hope you enjoyed that episode. We're going to have another growler, another special growler this week, and it's kind of based off of wanting to really devote more time uh, to the Willie Anderson topic and story. I, I The story is up now on the site, and it's about how him, he, Paul Alexander, of course, former Bengals offensive line coach, worked together forever. Paul Alexander's a consultant with PFF. They're kind of getting together to commission PFF to grade his career and to finally give tangible numbers and stats to the discourse to remove bias from really not just, you know, bias, Bengals bias, which we all have talked about often, but I mean, really the bias that exists with offensive linemen. I mean, nobody really quite understands all that stuff because offensive line play is all about consistency, not about highlights and, and how you can't judge consistency unless you're looking at literally every single play. The one thing that PFF does. So they're going back and they're going to grade all of Willie's career. Of course they started in 2006 as a company or they're, they, their stats go back to 2006. So you have 1996-2005, essentially, where you don't have any grades on Willie Anderson, and they want to do that to give a show of, you know, those years. Willie Anderson was never a uh, pro bowler until 2004, till Marvin came. He had some great years, <laughs> by the way, from 1996 to 2002. And, um, you know, those are the that's a difference between being a Hall of Famer and not for Willie Anderson right now. And they just want that information out there. And there's a lot of interesting background to that, to the story. Talk to Willie, talk to Neil Hornsby from PFF and Paul Alexander. And we just wanted to give it more time. So we're going to do a special growler episode on Willie. This Saturday at the NFL Honors, they are going to uh, announce this year's class that they already trimmed down to 15. Willie was on the 25, didn't make the cut to 15. So um, you'll learn what the class is on Saturday, but we're going to talk a little bit about the future of Willie's case. So that'll be a fun thing to dive into. We have and some more fun stuff. Anytime you talk to Willie, it's always entertaining. So uh, we'll have that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Shaq Barrett because um, I apologize for making fans sad. Uh, <laughs> with, with that story, but we'll get into that. We never did defensive categories, Jay. We didn't. We let it we slip. Didn't. We let it slip. We did the offensive category. So we're going to do defense next week. A bunch of other stuff happened, and we just didn't. So we're going to come back. We're going to go back into the defensive player categories. Look at the Bengals roster outlook on defense for where the guys going to go, why they're categorized, how, how they are from that story earlier uh, in the middle of last month. 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, a little bit about some wide receivers, where they could go. Uh, and Jay's got stats that I'm I'm interested here, and it made me it it almost made me jaw drop when you when you mentioned it to me before the show. So I'm excited to hear that it revolves around the Super Bowl and the Bengals. It's uh, two words it, that don't normally go together. <laughs> true, that's true. Uh, and and it's not just stats; it kind of rolls into some trivia. I'll have a I'll have some trivia questions for you and the listeners off of those stats. Look at you. Look at you. I like it. Uh, let's 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 dive into uh, Shaq Barrett. So here's the basics. Um, you know, I this has kind of been out there. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Um, the two years ago, the Bengals had Shaq Barrett in. They really liked him, wanted to sign him. And an injury issue cropped up that they felt was an issue and decided not to sign him because of that. Doctors would not sign off on it. So I, that story I'd always known. I'd never really written it in depth because I'd never really been able to talk to Shaq Barrett, never really been able to nail down any of the other things surrounding it other than that basic premise that I just laid out for you. It always was kind of thought of, I think, around Bengals world as a just an awful what if as you watch Shaq Barrett be a, <laughs> arguably the best pass rusher outside of Aaron Donald. I mean, by pressures, by sacks. 27 and a half sacks. He's up over 150, 60 pressures the last two years. Um, Bengals have 48 sacks dead last in the NFL the last two years. Back Barrett alone, 27 and a half. It's amazing. That's all you need to know. <laughs> but that so so when you know that, um, I, I just I kind he you know they have the Super Bowl media availabilities. If I was in Tampa, it would be a question I would go ask. They had a Zoom. I figured we I'd try to drop in on a Zoom and see if he can shed some light on it. I did not anticipate this answer. <laughs> I did not anticipate it to sound quite like this because it shed some new light onto an old story. Here was Shaq Barrett on his Zoom answering my question at the Super Bowl. Shaq, how are you doing? Uh, I, years ago, you were a uh, free agent out of Denver. You visited the Bengals, and they really liked you. I know there was some concern maybe on their part about a your hip injury. I'm curious how much you had heard concerns that offseason about an injury in general with teams and that offseason and how close you thought you were to signing with Cincinnati. Uh, uh, it wasn't my hip at all. They said I had something with my shoulder or something that – like I don't have anything with my shoulder, so that's when they like pulled off, or which uh had me pretty upset because I was putting all my eggs into that basket. I thought Cincinnati would have been the right move for me, and they offered me two year contract, and then my agent was sure that he could get them up a little bit more than what they offered. So it had been the most money I ever made with the most security, and that's all I want is security and stability for my family. So it was a gut a gut shot once they pulled the contract offer, but. I didn't hear from anybody else about anything from the teams I visited about any shoulder injury because I never had a shoulder injury. So I, you know, didn't really know what to expect as far as what he would say about that. Here's things that were new to me. He had all his eggs in that basket. He was dying to be a Bengal. Like stability and security for his family, two-year deal. He wanted that two-year deal. That, I don't think people, I, I did not know, and I don't know if people knew how much Shaq Barrett was counting on coming to play for the Bengals and wanting to play for the Bengals. That was new to me. And also, the side that I asked about, about, look, 
you know, did any other teams mention this shoulder injury? Shoulder injury? What? Sh- He's like, what shoulder injury? Nobody else mentioned anybody I've visited ever saw that never had a shoulder injury. And when you hear stuff like this, you know, we, the games of what ifs and what could have been with whether we're talking about the draft or we're talking about free agency, things go different ways. It, it's domino effects to all of it. I, like, I, I don't like too much to go back and do what ifs on that stuff. It eventually ends up meaning very little. This is just, it's one of the biggest what ifs and miscalculations and errors by the organization. I mean, that I can remember in forever. I mean, when you talk about what could have been, what what they wanted to be all over seeing something that proved to be absolutely nothing. And that Shaq Barrett basically had no idea about, I mean, that is a really tough pill to swallow for a team that has been dying to find any way to get after the past for the last two years. And it's of their own doing. It's just shooting yourself in the foot. You know, that's, that's a tough one to swallow. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to, is it, was it a misdiagnosis as Shaq is leading people to believe that saying there was no shoulder injury to, to speak of, was it buyer's remorse before they actually made the purchase? It just it was a really strange the way that played out. I, I was curious because I, I thought that these, and maybe they are, maybe they, they went up today. I looked last night after you told me what he said, I wanted to, to kind of watch the video. Um, I thought all these zooms were going to be available to watch like on demand after the fact the transcripts are available. I've not found the video yet. I'm just curious, like, as you're asking the question was, did he scowl? Did he smile? Like, yes, I can't wait to get the, Was he glad that the question was asked? Well, I mean, what was he kind of, he's kind of like a half little half laugh, you know, okay. I mean, just kind of, as I went through it, you know, I mean, I, yeah, it's, you know, I, there was a point we've all, I, I feel like so many of us, I know I have these in my life opportunities in your career that you felt like would be the end of the world if you didn't get them or didn't go that way and you don't. And then you look back on it and you're like, thank God that didn't happen. That would have, you know, that would have been awful. That would have changed this, 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 and this that has all turned out so well. Shaq Barrett clearly looking back on this one that way. I, you know, cause other thing I don't know, what does he have 27 and a half sacks if he's playing here? Is it, is it the same? I mean, I, maybe, I don't know. He's, st- he would have been pretty damn good. You know, watching him across from Carl Lawson uh, would have been fairly fun for a couple of years and exactly what they need. And they would have had him at this bargain price, Um, you know, so he would have still been pretty good. But would he have been that? Would he have this? Would he be playing the Super Bowl? You know, all these things, you know, obviously it goes that way. But it's, you know, and it it doesn't help because you just you're always as Bengals fans. This is what they always have in the back of their head. And that's why this is why, you know, it's goes back Antonio Bryant's knee and the $9 million practice, right? And everything that happened there. And you just worry about stuff like this, where the personnel department, who is often so criticized, gets it right on, finds the diamond in the rough, right? Is the most active pursuer of Shaq Barrett. They see the potential in this dude who had been stuck behind Bradley Chubb 
and Von Miller in Denver. They see what he can be. They're willing to go after it. They're willing to pay him more than anybody else is, give him two years. They, they love the idea of it. The personnel department nails it. The coach loves it. The new staff, you know, gets all this right. And the docs are like, nah. And they, you know, at a certain point, you have to trust your doctors. And, and then Shaq Barrett doesn't miss a game and gets 27 and a half sacks and 150 whatever pressures. <laughs> and you got to watch that. And you got to watch that. And like and, and as a fan and who knows within the building what that does, it's just that this is the stuff that makes Bengals fans just want to stab themselves. Now, if if you want a positive side of it, Maybe maybe there is a silver lining here because people talk all the time where do free agents really want to go to Cincinnati? Like do the Bengals have to overpay to to get guys to come here? And the connection there, uh Shaq Barrett played for Vance Joseph in 2018 before he was a free agent. Now Vance got fired before that whole free agency cycle began in 2019. But you would have to think he reached out to Vance and, and and got kind of some intel on what Cincinnati's like. And so so for a guy that was formerly here to to give him that endorsement for him to put all of his eggs in that basket can at least be a silver lining that that, hey, there are guys that have been here uh, don't don't try to persuade other people for, from coming here. Maybe maybe Cincinnati's not as bad of a destination as as it's perceived and of course money trumps all if if you're if 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 the Bengals are willing to pay we've we've seen guys come here before that it wasn't where the Bengals just broke the bank to get them here but i i I just thought that was kind of an interesting little little connection there that that with Shaq and with Vance Joseph and Vance having been here before um and of course everything was up in the air. Yes, the organization's the same, but the Bengals were going through a coaching change too, and so Vance couldn't really speak on the coaching staff here. He could just talk on the front office. But good sign that a that a quality player like that was willing to come to Cincinnati cuz as we've seen the Bengals were able to get a couple last year and they're going to be in that market again this offseason. Look at you, Jay. Just you're just a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Positive. <laughs> you know, and I and I do you know, it's, 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 there's a part of me that doesn't like, you know, bringing up old shit, right? right. Like, why has it got to be like that? But this is important as you look for. I mean, it's it's organizational trust, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's understanding that you that this is the type of thing that you worry about, and and it, this type of stuff is rare, you know. I mean, for all the ones you get right, you, you know, what you don't hear much about those. The, the one that you get wrong, like this. It's when it's just so obvious and in your face, and it's such a huge what could have been um, that you know that where the frustration certainly comes from. Um, you know, he had a he had a hip that kept him out, a hip flexor that kept him out in that December. If there was, maybe there was something in his shoulder, and there is something there. The bottom line is, uh, whatever they thought was there, sure as hell didn't affect him the last two years. <laughs> Uh, certainly wasn't significant enough to uh, make him look anything other than a total beast uh, for the Bucks, and and now he'll hit free agency. Maybe they'll get another shot at him. Technically, uh, it ain't going to be cheap this time. No. <laughs> what do you make fifteen this year? Oh my goodness, he will be. Uh, he'll be up there. He'll be up there in that fifteen twenty range. He's still young. 
Yeah. He's still in his 20s. He, he led the league and led all edge defenders in pressures this year. He's a great player, and you'll watch him on Sunday in the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, trying to uh, chase down Patrick Mahomes. So that, uh, we'll end it there. Hey, uh, we're on both sides of the both sides of the spectrum today. Give providing the sadness on one side, but the Willie Anderson thing. Look, f- there's a there's a fight for the Bengal to make the Hall of Fame. I feel like I feel like this week with these two stories that both kind of drop within about twelve hours of each other. I'm hitting both sides of the Bengal spectrum. You know, the one that just is constantly thinking about slitting the rest and the one who's just every day go Bengals, who day and right? New day. That's what a good journalist does. Try to hit both sides. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Defensive categories, right? Let's um this kind of falls into that as we talk about Shaq Barrett and the lack of pass rush as they search for that. So we're just, we're gonna quickly run through this. Um, if you just as a reminder, uh, a couple weeks ago I had a story categorizing 65 Bengals players, put them into five different categories, each one to kind of give give you a feel for where you know, as far as I understand the organization sits in viewing these guys. Either future core, a complementary part, which means they're good for 2021, needs to improve, so they're kind of on the 21 bubble, a free agent decision, or parting ways. So let's start on that defensive line where they are a desperate need of pass rush, and they need it everywhere and anywhere. Um, Future core, DJ Reader, Sam Hubbard. Um, Reader is the highest paid nose tackle in football. He will be here and back from his injury. Sam Hubbard, they love they love everything Sam Hubbard is. You know, he basically led, I think he led the league in run stop percentage uh, this past year. He's certainly serviceable as an edge rusher. Um, he's he's not going to break the bank. He's not going to probably be a consistent double digit sack guy anytime in his career, but he can do it enough. And with what he, you want him there on first and second down for sure. I anticipate an extension with Sam um, happening because he's extension eligible for the first time. Mr. Cincinnati, all that stuff, wants to be here. Makes too much sense. I think Hubbard gets an extension. Um, then as a complimentary piece, I have Josh Tupo in there. Uh, he opted out. He went forget. He was kind of the uh, pleasant surprise in backing up Andrew Billings and kind of a reason they were willing to let Billings go. Tupo sounds like he's ready to come back and be part of things. I think they view him as a nice little backup uh, for – DJ Reader. So he's in a complimentary piece. Uh, needs to improve. Khalid Kareem, Rennell Wren. Uh, free agent decisions. Carl Lawson, Mike Daniels, Christian Covington, Marcus Hunt. And then in parting ways, Geno Atkins, Xavier Williams, Amani Bledsoe. What sticks out to you, Jay? Um, I, I don't know. I, I would say Khalid Kareem because – you don't want to overreact too quickly, but but the the Bengals were so bad with pass rush. You would have thought that they would have been able to get more out of him this year. 
get get more of a look, and it really didn't happen. He got a late start, but he was he was good by the time the season got going, and, and certainly the second half of the season, um, it. it he fits where he, I mean, you got him as needs to improve. That's yes, that that's obvious, but I just, of all the guys that that's the one that, that I, I was surprised that he didn't have a better season. Rennell Wren, you've also gotten the needs to improve. He's this gigantic question mark. He's just had he, he, his 2018 season was, or 19 season was cut short by injury. And then he gets hurt early in the 2020 camp we really don't know what that guy is he looks the part he looks like he can really be a, a great option in the middle of the line but there's there's just there's so many questions there not only who are they going to get to fill the guys that we know are moving on but but who do they have the the guys that are coming back what are they who are they um that there, there's just so many questions on that entire defensive line there really are i mean Lawson is the big one, and and I hesitate to even really go in depth into it. We've just talked about it so much; yeah. it's exhausting. Uh, so I'm not really going to dive much more into the Lawson conversation. Listen to pretty much any podcast the last two months, and I think we talk about him. Um, you know, Mike Daniels, I think, is interesting. He seemed to be a guy that kind of liked being here. Um, he, you know, he's very stout inside. He didn't really give you much in terms of pressures. He pushed the pocket all right. I think you were happy enough with that. I mean, he seen that he was one of you guys that you could see getting under guys' pads and moving them back a little bit every once in a while. That's better than you can say about most anybody else. And if you're looking for interior depth, I, I think you're okay with Mike Daniels. I don't think he'd be super expensive. Um, I would be interested in bringing him back. I mean, Covington was a late trade add-on who had to play – he played 549 snaps. Yeah, unreal. You know, I mean, that's not what he is. Um, and I don't. So, what, whether they bring him back or not, I don't know. Marcus Hunt, like, what's this going to do for anybody? Uh, Xavier Williams, Amani Bloods. I mean, these are all guys that were throw-ins to try to find any way to field a team when the defensive line, particularly the interior, just got decimated. As you know, Atkins. You know, the decision is not made yet. Uh, you know, I think that's probably on the plate now as they try to work through that. I mean, all anticipation is, I mean, all logic says Geno Atkins will be gone. Um, but logic isn't always what prevails uh, in Cincinnati all the time, um, particularly with guys that are a little like legendary players that uh, they want to keep in stripes and give every opportunity to prove that they can have that one last little bit in them. It's just, it's part of the DNA of this organization. They want to give those guys every last chance a.k.a. A.J. Green's franchise tag. Um, and so would they do that with Geno Atkins? I mean, I don't think so. I think when the when you rubber meets the road, when it really comes down to it, they'll make the call that makes the most sense and pocket that $10 million and wish Geno Atkins a, a fond farewell and really enjoy the day when he can come back and be honored for his career. Um yeah, I mean, okay. if he had, if he had two, if he had, if this was, if twenty twenty one was it, if he was going in the final year of his contract, it might be a different situation where maybe there is more pull to to let him ride it out. But two years left on the deal, they they've seen what he is. Um, the the t I think, I think the coaching staff would would be more ready to move on. The the problem here, the Bengals. Obviously, we talk about the changes they've undergone these last few years, but one thing that has never changed is is Mike Brown's loyalty, and you know there's an affinity there for Geno, um, but at some point, business sense has to take over, and it just it 
who knows, maybe he has the surgery and he comes back and he's, he's strong as ever, but it's still, you look at his age, you look at the decline that goes, that began way before the injury. And it just, it doesn't make sense to pay that guy that, that much money. As you say in the piece, that 9.6 million could be better spent elsewhere. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, so linebackers, uh, future core, Logan Wilson was really kind of, uh, I guess the shining ascending piece uh, of their gutting of that position this past year. I mean, he really seemed to make an impression on on the field, off the field. Coaches really liked him. They love his attitude. They love the way he plays. He made plays, um, you know, certainly splashes for a rookie. Linebacker is a position um, where you really do see, you know, it, it takes a lot as a rookie to just jump in and be a great linebacker. Obviously can happen, uh, but you typically have seen pretty big jumps from linebackers and it's in their second to third year. Devin White in the Super Bowl this weekend is a prime example of that. I mean, he there were questions about him early in his rookie year, and he's really kind of started to evolve and turn himself into something. Um, Devin Bush had his criticisms in Pittsburgh um, at first and then really came into his own, obviously, the injury. Um, you know, it. I think the thought is that Logan Wilson could be that next guy to really become a dude next year. And so I, I view him as more of a future core Davis Gaither, lesser so, but certainly in that mix as possible, you know, they're looking to see a little bit more growth out of him. I think they bring vines back. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I hope they do. Yeah. For us, for our sake, yeah, man, he, he's, yes, but he's a nice player. He's a veteran in there to, you know, the young group really looks up to him. He's really solid as a run stopping. You know, Bynes is a great piece to have on your team as long as you don't ask him to play three downs. Mm-hmm. You know, have him in there on first, second running situations. Great, great. Um, you just when he's out, has to be out there as much as he, ha- he maybe had to be this year. Um, you know, it, he's not necessarily a perfect piece. Jermaine Pratt um, is one that I was really interested in learning a little bit more about how he was viewed. And, you know, I think there's still a lot of optimism about around Jermaine. And, and it, and I think there's a question when you look at linebackers that maybe their numbers were down or didn't play well, or they didn't grade well. Right. Remember such a key part to linebacker play is what uh, the guys in front of them, keeping the guys off them. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we hear so much. Any great linebacker, it's all the way the defensive tackles keep the guys off them. Right plug up those double teams, all that stuff. And it is. And and when you had – we just went over the names that were playing defensive interior this year. In front of them, there's, I think there's a bit of a grain of salt with judging guys like even Pratt, Wilson, whatever, on some of their shortcomings. And I think that's the way they feel about Pratt. Yeah, I mean, he, he falls in that – not yet – but you wonder, he's in that long line of, of third-round linebackers that just have not worked out. Looks like Logan Wilson may be the guy to end that drought, but it expected a lot more. Both those guys that you have in the need-to-improve category expected so much more from um, not just Pratt, but but Marcus Bailey. I, I mean, he was a seventh-round pick, yeah, but a lot of that was due to the injury he was coming off of. And, and once he got healthy, I thought he would he would really make an impact, especially at a position where – you know, it, it, it they they didn't have a lot of guys solidified in front of him. Obviously, they're going to give more reps to the third and fourth round picks. But I I thought Bailey had an outside shot of of fighting for a starting job or or more playing time 
over Wilson and Davis Geithner. And it just, it just never materialized. So that's, he's a guy that I'm really going to be interested to see where he goes next year. Cause I, I really liked him coming out of Purdue. I, I thought it was a, I thought it was their maybe obviously Burrow Higgins, great picks, but I thought it might've been one of their best draft picks getting him in the seventh round. And it just, it never played out the way I thought it would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, seventh round pick, same thing though, you know, linebacker, give him time to see. He, he didn't get on mm-hmm. the field too much. Uh, so maybe more opportunity opens up. He, those types of guys, seventh round pick, sixth round pick, are guys that really missed having a preseason. Like they never really got a chance to get out there, get reps, show what they can do at a position that's so much about instincts and tackling and and all that stuff. He just he never really got a chance to go out there and get comfortable on the field and, and make plays. If they can put together a preseason this next year, um, you know, he would be one of those types of guys that you'd be really interested in seeing an extended look on. And so I think, you know, those guys back into the draft, man. It was tough here to be in the back end of the draft or be right. a UFA. You just it, cracking lineups. It ain't easy because they don't want to put you in there when the game when the season's on the line. So, um, all right, let's get into corner where it's a mess. Uh, future core Trey Trey Wayne's you know by dictated by his contract. We still don't know how well he'll play here or whatever, but we'll be healthy next year and maybe you'll finally get to see a fourteen million dollar corner, at least a guy they paid fourteen million to play corner. Um, Complimentary piece, Darius Phillips. A lot of love for Darius Phillips. I have him pegged as my breakout, one of my breakout guys, kind of under the radar for next year. You know why? What do we always look for when we want to see who's going to have a breakout year, Jay? Contract year. Contract year. Darius Phillips will be in a contract year, and he should have a little more opportunity. I think he's shown flashes and earned it. Uh, a little bit more this past year. Health is just always going to be the issue with him. He's small. He's been constantly hurt. Can he play all 16 games? Can he give you something close to that? Um, but contract year, Darius Phillips will be motivated. So I, you know, keep an eye on him. And he can move inside and play in the slot, you know, depending on what you have going on there if you need help. Um, you know, so that's his versatility helps you a lot too, where he can kind of be that third, fourth corner for you. Uh, Fred decision, William Jackson, the third falls into the Carl Lawson thing. We've talked so much about it. I don't know how much we can really continue to talk about it anymore. We'll see where he lands. You know, if it is here, I think they're going to make an aggressive push, but, um, it depends on what his market ends up, uh, needs to improve, you know, Tony Brown, Jalen Davis, you know, those guys are going to be fighting for practice squad spots or whatever. Parting ways, uh, LaShawn Sims. Yeah, Bengals fans understand that. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander, I think, was one that maybe surprised some people. Um, He just never seemed to really mesh uh, with, you know, with the coaches here. And and while he played fine, I think they feel like maybe they can do better um, at that position. He was a one-year, $4 million guy. You know, slot corners you can find some good deals on and maybe try some new blood there. So it looks like they're going to be parting ways with him. Uh, anything – What do you? what's your view on corner? I mean, it's just – it's such a mess. You know, I was, I was with the readers that – I was surprised that McKenzie was in the parting ways because he wasn't that expensive this year. And – if they could bring him back on something similar, yeah, he wasn't great. I mean, the whole talk was he never missed a tackle the year before, and he certainly missed some tackles this year. Um, but yeah, I, the, the, if Will moves on, then you don't have a a. Well, I mean, Will's not a slot corner, but if Will's here, then you've got Darius to to stick in there possibly. 
um, as the slot corner. But if, if Will moves on, then all of a sudden, until you get another big name, if you, whether it's free agency, if you go into the draft, are you going to stick a rookie in there? I just, I feel like he's a, he's affordable enough. I don't know if, if there's a conflict there with the coaching staff. Like you said, they never really meshed, but the, the fact that he came here to play with Trey Waynes never got a, that wasn't the sole reason, but he never got a chance to play with his former teammate, Trey Waynes. Um, I just, I was, I was surprised to see him in the parting ways. I, I don't, I don't know that it, maybe you know more than I do. I don't think it's a lock that he's gone. Um, but it was, it, it definitely surprised me. It was the complete opposite of LaShawn Sims. Cause that may have been your easiest slotting of any player on this <laughs> list. Yeah. You know, I, I just think the Alexander thing is one that, you know, he's in, he's a free agent. And when you're looking at slot corners, there are a bunch of them. Yeah. You know, there are five, 10 different guys that can come in and play slot corner for four to three to seven million dollars, you know, depending on your range and 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 slot them in and, and and feel comfortable and give them a shot, right? I mean, look at Jarquez. I mean, you know, Atlanta swooped him up at the very end last year for next to nothing. I mean, and a guy who can play, you know, can play solid slot corner in this league. I, I think that's more valuable than that. I think they've been under, they're undersold a little bit in their value, but just a lot of them. And I think there's a lot of guys that you can put in there and they just started looking for, a, you know, a new piece to that. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it plays out. And, but I, you know, and that's what I would anticipate. Uh, safety's a pretty easy one. Future core Bates and Bell might be the best thing defense hasn't going has going for them mm-hmm. uh, is them as a combo uh, at safety. You know Bell so good up in the box, making tackles, making plays. Um, obviously, you worry about him in coverage, but he he's he's serviceable enough back there. You where you you hope it's not going to kill you too much. And Bates is so good in coverage, um, and really you know the all everything type. So you love that. It, Brandon Wilson will be interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know. What do you value a kick returner? Does anybody value a kick returner? Has shown enough as a the third safety to make you happy to keep him. Uh, is there a market for a kick returner? I don't know. Possibly. But the other thing with Wilson is it's just like Fedulum, where Fedulum wasn't a returner, but he was a special teams. I mean, he was a Pro Bowl alternate. He was really good, and he wanted to go somewhere else to get a chance to play safety. And that may be Brandon Wilson's mindset is, I'm not playing safety here with Jesse Bates and Von Bell here. I want to go somewhere where I can play safety. Now, whether he can or not, I, you don't know. But in his mind, he's going to believe he can. And, and maybe he does look to go somewhere else where where he can get on the field on defense as well as returning kicks. I don't know anywhere that's playing him at safety, though, right now. as a, Certainly as a start. Maybe in a place that has questionable starters. Right. Like I'm thinking maybe. his mindset. Yeah. Just like well, Fedulum. Fedulum didn't play a lot. But look, I my mindset is I want to go somewhere where I can play safety. That doesn't mean <laughs> it's going to matter, Jay. I mean, you know, you got to, at a certain point, like there's a reality to this is that his niche is going to be as a kicker turner and as a backup safety. Mm-hmm. That you know, that's who he ha, put him in as a running back in a, in a pinch, right? Maybe, but you know, at, at this point, that's who you are, and he can do that here, and th- they have some value in it. So I. I think they probably keep him here. I don't see this being like a fedge uh, moving on, but you never know. You never know. Maybe some teams do value kick returners more and be willing to pay him a little bit more. We'll see. 
Uh, parting ways, Sean Williams. The writing's been on that yeah. wall all season. Um, so we'll see him go. Uh, specialists. You know, I, I get some questions about Kevin Huber. I, you know, Kevin Huber had one of his better seasons this past year. He's been around a while. He's in his mid thirties. Clark Harris, thirty seven. I mean, these these guys are both they're both UFAs. Um, I, I just think they bring back Huber. I you know I I, I know it's like oh draft a punter or whatever. Maybe they will. I just he's from here. He's had a good year. There's comfort. You know, Darren Simmons wants comfort. He wants mm-hmm. knowing known pieces. Huber continues to do it, do it well. Clark Harris continues to do it, do it well. Why mess with a good thing? Bring those guys back. Keep continuity there. They're the longest running snapper to punter duo on one team in the in the NFL NFL history. Uh, kicker is wide open, wide yes. open. Uh, Bullock will be gone. Um, I mean, theoretically, I guess he could come back in some sort of one year, no guarantee, and be a part of a competition. Um, Austin Siebert, you know, is under contract, so he technically probably will be here. But if he's here, he'll be in some sort of competition. You have to assume there will be a kicker who comes in, whether he's drafted, whether it is an undrafted kicker like we see a lot of these kickers go. I mean, some rookie is going to be in here competing and have a pretty good – be given every chance possible to win the job, which I really look forward to. Maybe that if we have another rookie come in and get cut – in favor of uh, of a questionable vet, maybe we can stop talking about Jake Elliott. Is there anything better than charting field goals in training camp? No. Which the yard, whether it was good or not, which hash it was from, the the, the, the daily reports of, of kicking competitions. We do it because the fans eat it up. The fans love it. Um, I don't know how much value there is to that, although we saw it. It really is what the decision came down to with Jake Elliott and Randy Bullock where – Randy clearly beat him out in training camp. He was better in practice. They just felt they couldn't trust the rookie. Um, going back to Huber and Clark Harris, an interesting note there. Well, first of all, yes, they're free agents, but it, it, this year where the money's down and it, it, I just – and it's not like Huber, he had the best year of his career, but it wasn't like he was a top two or three punter in the league. I just don't think anybody's going to throw the money at him. I, I definitely think he's back and and Harris is back. And if they are – and if they both play every game this year, which you would assume for a punter and a long snapper, uh, they will finish 2021. Kevin Huber will be tied with Reggie Williams for the second most games played in Bengals history. He's at 190 right now. He would be at 206 tied with Reggie Williams, one behind Ken Riley's 207. And if Clark plays all 16, he'll be at 200, which would be right behind Huber and Williams for fourth place in Bengals history. Like you said, longest running snapper punter combo in NFL history. Yeah, with one team. It's with pretty remarkable. Team. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy how long they've they've been together and doing this. So um that's where that stands. All right, let's just take a quick break. The NFL is still happening. Um we had the Matt Stafford, Jared Goff blockbuster this past weekend. And this trade basically touched everybody in the league. It's hard for it not to touch everyone in the league in some way, shape, and form. So many teams with quarterback questions. So many teams were in on it. You had like, you know, reportedly about eight teams all offering at least first round picks, trying to get Stafford. 
golf being pushed around. I mean, all this stuff. You've got the draft stuff. Draft position is all affected by this. What was your, through a Bengals lens, did you have a takeaway on any fallout, any shrapnel from Matt Stafford for Jarrett Goff? Um, my initial thought, which may have been yours as well, was pity the poor scribes. 10 o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> night yeah, is not rough. the ideal time for a blockbuster trade. Well, I can just imagine, you know, poor Chris Burke might be a couple beers into a Saturday night and holy crap, you got a, you got a monster falls in your lap. Um, it, it just starts, it starts all the dominant. I mean, we, we've already talked about how many changes there's going to be with the quarterbacks this year. And it, it, it just gets everything moving. Um, I, I was surprised that, that it ended up being kind of a, it feels like a fleecing by the lions. Um, even though Stafford is, is a better quarterback than Goff. Goff has more years remaining ahead of him and they, they're, the lions are getting two first round picks. What? And a third this year. Um, it just, it, it really, it, it seemed like a lopsided trade. And now you, you wonder, I mean, it kind of, it kind of sets, the market, if you will, for these other quarterbacks that that may end up traded. There's a bunch of free agent ones out there, but there's also a bunch that are in situations where Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, where is you know is are they moving on? Is there going to be a trade? And any kind of trades, there's the ones that happen either now that go into effect when the new league year starts, or ones that can happen right around draft time. And that's the ones that are going to affect the Bengals where how many teams are left wanting a quarterback that don't have one, that don't have a shot to get one in the top five picks in the draft that could possibly give the Bengals an extra pick and a sixth, a, a second round pick this year, maybe a first next year. It depends how desperate teams get to move up to, to get that quarterback before the first round of the draft gets going. That was a fallout for me. I mean, for me, that was kind of these other how I viewed it was. The teams that didn't get anybody, and you look at Carolina at 8, Denver at 9, San Francisco at 12. We've been talking a lot about these teams. There's thoughts that Kirk Cousins could be hanging out there. Minnesota at 14. All of these teams that did not hit, and the musical chairs will go, Will they get what they want, or are they going to end up really counting on the draft pick? And if they do, there's that desperation. Now, I think Miami would be interested in going back out of three. I think Atlanta could probably be interested in coming back out of four, maybe. Maybe not. But if, you, if, if they're not budging and they do go a different direction, you know, then the desperation of all these teams and you end up in, you could potentially find yourself with a bidding war at five, and that's that's where we always come back to with this. And you end up like it happened with Stafford a little bit, where you've got multiple teams who are trying to find a way to get into your good graces to make that deal. So um, that, to me, is the fallout that I look at in this, is maybe this is all those other teams that were involved and how many of them uh, were left still with nothing and will they be left with nothing when all the the pieces start really falling if you had to put a percentage on it right now percentage chance that the Bengals use 
the number five overall pick in the draft? Who? Uh, seventy-seven. <laughs> A little more than three of th- three quarters. Okay. Yeah, I think I think probably they stay in Pat. You know, but. It will be interesting when teams do come calling and their penchant for moving back. Um, you know, I think more than likely they pick, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You never you, you draft those crazy things. It, it will de- so much will depend on free agency and what happens with the quarterback carousel. If you end up with a bunch of teams and you feel like there's desperation out there, um, that's that's when it happens. Uh, let's dive into. I want to remind everybody. Uh, uh, we have a Bengals growler bet for the Super Bowl, um, and it is a doozy. Reminder: you can send it to p daner at theathletic.com or use hashtag Bengals growler bet and send it to us on Twitter. Your one submission: you need to tell us the team and time of game. For the last touchdown scored in the Super Bowl. And it needs to be within four seconds. Within four seconds of the snap of the last touchdown scored. Not the first, the last touchdown scored in the Super Bowl. And who did it? If you get within four seconds of that, a growler of delicious 50 US beer can be yours. Uh, or you could get within five seconds of it and be. So close, <laughs> so close. Have you scanned the uh, some of the submissions so far? I have. It's funny because when we, I apologize to people because we decided after we started talking, uh, we were we had talked about it for about 30, 40 seconds, and then we decided after we were talking about it, you know, we should we should make it harder. Let's throw the team in there. Yeah. And we did. And so a lot of people instantly sent their submission when we were talking about it and then had to send another email and say, oh, my bad. I just heard that you said I have to include the team now. So sorry to all those that we sort of tricked on the first one. You do need the team and the uh, and the time of game. I do. I, I, I might make this into a a stats thing. Maybe maybe a stats. Jay's got stats for the, for the growl, or even though it won't have anything to do with Willie Anderson. But I am curious because everybody, it seems all the submissions I've seen are picking something – inside of two minutes and i wonder how many times the the final touchdown of the game has happened because it 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 feels like this is going to be one of those games the team that has the ball last wins um and i I just i haven't seen i I wonder what the the record is for the the earliest final touchdown i don't know if that if that even makes sense but it would it would probably be his final touchdown it would probably be that uh the 72 dolphins that went undefeated um i think that the final of that super Bowl was 14 to 7 uh, so i imagine there there probably wasn't a late one in that game jay you you have to really have uh <laughs> a personal death wish if you want to go through and try to track that stat down i know you're dedicated i really do it's it's apparent but that is something speaking of dedication uh you've got stats and i want to hear them i do so if if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, then Patrick Mahomes becomes the twelfth quarterback in NFL history to have to have started and won at least two Super Bowls. Um, of the previous eleven, I went back and looked to see what the Bengals' record is 
facing quarterbacks with at least two rings. And this is once they have the two rings. So in other words, nothing that Ben Roethlisberger did against the Bengals prior to 2000 or even in 2008 counts. It's only after he won that Super Bowl at the end of the second Super Bowl at the end of the 2008 season. So they've, they've, it's happened 51 times. And as you might expect, the, the quarterbacks with at least two rings are 36 and 15 against the Bengals. However, and this the reason this came up was because if the Chiefs win and Patrick Mahomes gets his second, he will be in Cincinnati next year as a two-ring quarterback. And in the history, in Bengals history, what do you think the record is for quarterbacks with two rings facing the Bengals in Cincinnati? Well, you gave me a hint on this before. So That's I true. I did. I can't guess. Yes. I feel uh, we can let listeners think yeah, to themselves think, right think now. Think in your They're mind. Thinking about it. What could it be? You know, I the one the one that popped. There was one that popped into my mind, and that was the Tom Brady Patriots rain game back. Yes. Then, where they where Zimmer uh, was able to take down. He took down Rodgers and Brady in in consecutive weeks, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and that that stuck out to me as one, but I. As I, you know, obviously you get through Roethlisberger is, is is a big part of that. But so yeah, it's it's hard to come up with a number. What do we got? So it's happened twenty five times, and the Bengals have a winning record against two ring quarterbacks in Cincinnati. They are thirteen and twelve. It's astounding, and it is astounding, especially when you consider Ben is nine and three, and Brady is three and one. That one loss being the one you referenced in the rain. You take. You take Ben and Tom Brady out of the equation, the Bengals are eight and one against the other two ring quarterbacks in Cincinnati. Um, the the mo the couple couple things stood out on this to me that that game against Brady it snapped his NFL record streak of fifty two straight games, yeah, with, with a touchdown pass. Uh, one of the other guys on this list, Joe Montana, won. He won in 1990. The, the 49ers were 11 and 1. They came in. They were two time defending Super Bowl champions. Um, and the Bengals took them to overtime, but, but the, the 49ers won in overtime. The Bengals on that day snapped the longest streak of consecutive games with a touchdown pass of Joe Montana's career. Wow. Care to guess what that streak was? This astounded me. 51? 14. The longest streak of that guy's career, four-time Super Bowl champion, considered the GOAT before Tom Brady came along, the longest consecutive game streak. It was a with different a game. It was a different game back then, but still, yeah. 14, yeah. that really surprised me. And the other, thing that, the other thing that really surprised me on here was uh, Terry Bradshaw, 0-5 in Cincinnati as a two-ring quarterback. Wow. After he won his second Super Bowl in 1975, he never won in Cincinnati again. Incredible. So that's a big part of this. The yes. ownership of Terry Bradshaw, apparently. <laughs> wow. Who else on that list? Okay, also Bob Greasy, 0-1. Um, Montana, as I said, 1-0. Troy Aikman, 0-1. The, the Bengals beat him. And then um, Eli Manning, the, the year he came in after winning mm -hmm. his super, second Super Bowl in 2011-2012, the Bengals beat him up. Um, also, the year they beat up Carson Palmer, um, so Eli's 0-1. And, and then Montana, Brady, Ben, a combined 13 and 4. Okay. Wow. 
going deep, Jay. <laughs> going deep. Um, I I wanted to before we head out of here. There was a piece by Bill Barnwell about where there's so many wide receivers out there this year, and uh, you know the Bengals have a couple prominent ones amongst them, AJ Green, John Ross going to be playing elsewhere. And he kind of was taking shots, you know, Bill at ESPN does a great job with stuff like this. We just kind of taking some shots at uh, figuring out where they would all go. Cause there's just so many big names and Jay, what did he have? He, he had 43 wide receivers and he predicted where they were going to end up. And for AJ Green, and not just where they were going to pick up, but what their market was going to be. And for AJ Green, uh, he has him signing a one-year, four million dollar contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, which How I think that? is a great fit for AJ. You look what's the deal with AJ? He's getting older. He's getting slower. You put him on the field with all those speed demons, and suddenly he looks a lot faster. Um, and he he would have. Why a would he look faster? Wouldn't he look slower? Well, because he'd be open. <laughs> you, have, you have you have the worst defender on the other team guarding him, which kind of happened this year. Once people figured out what he was, uh, yeah. By comparison, he would look slower, but he, there would be more opportunities. It would feel like, and so it, it just. It, I think it would be a great fit for AJ to, to get back in the playoffs, have a chance to win a ring. Um, not now. There's no guarantee he's going to end up there, obviously, but it, it would be a a great fit for him, and it would be back-to-back years where that that duo Andy he leaves comes back the very next year chance to to say hi to a small crowd maybe next year we have a full stadium and AJ can get that appreciation um but yeah I, I thought that was interesting uh on on this list also he after the 43 he just kind of had a bunch of other oh by the ways and jo- John Ross was on that oh by the way where He's a guy that he doesn't have predicted, but he he thinks that you know somebody out there is going to give him a shot to come in and and maybe revitalize his career and use his speed. Uh, yeah i I would be willing to bet there is a better chance. I would put I would put my money on John Ross playing for the Chiefs before AJ Green mm. personally. He fits that I, scheme. He fits. I mean, you know, the Raiders look with the Raiders, the Chiefs stand out to me. Guys that they just they will take a chance on somebody who's fast and you know Nelson Aguilar is a perfect example who was criticized for a number of reasons and fell out of favor in Philly and went to Las Vegas and revitalized his career this past year uh, he was a speed guy and they were going to use his speed and that's you know the staple of Raiders football and Aguilar is probably going to leave free agency this year I mean maybe I don't know they're not going to be willing to pay him John Ross can come in and be this year's Nelson Aguilar and the Raiders. You can hear it now. Um, and the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs are not going to feel hurt putting someone with a 4-2-2 out on the field. They're, they, no. they they will give that a chance every day. And so and think that, that they can get the best out of it and let him run straight and Patrick Mahomes throw deep and see if he can catch it. That's probably the question there. But, you know, that's – you absolutely can see one of these teams that value speed for a nothing flyer on John Ross. I mean, John Ross is going to make a million dollars, 
right? He's going to yeah. get a vet minimum type deal somewhere to go see if so- he can maybe make something out of what has not been much to this point. And maybe he does, and good for him. But I, I would say I see that, you know, the Ch- I just have a hard time seeing the Chiefs paying somebody who isn't a separator who doesn't have speed. I just feel like that's their MO is to do the opposite of that. But and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it does end up different. I would see, you know, I look for connections. I look for connections. If I'm talking AJ, Bill Lazor. Yeah. Bears. You know, Allen Robinson will probably leave. He is he's an AJ type. He's not a separator. He's a contested catch guy. Uh Bill Lazor has familiarity. Maybe it ends up being Chicago. Who knows though? You never really know. I think Atlanta is gonna be in play because AJ will want to go mm-hmm. there. You know, he's that's his home. He would love to go back there. I could totally see that happening. Um, they have a lot of pieces in place already. You know, Julio and Calvin Ridley and all that stuff. But, you know, if he just wanted to be in Atlanta, uh, you could you could certainly see that happening. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with their market. But, yeah, I think if I'm putting somebody in Kansas City, I'm putting John Ross there. Has Jay Gruden landed anywhere? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I have yeah, to look I can't, up. I don't, I don't know. Because that would be another that. potential connection. And, and speaking of connections – um, there was another Bengals one on this list, and, and maybe Bill's been listening to this podcast and listening to you, but he had Josh Reynolds coming to the Bengals on a two-year, $10 million deal. And that just that makes so much sense. The, the, the Rams are – they are strapped for cash, um, and the, the connection is obvious there with Zach Taylor and Josh Reynolds and, and the Bengals needing to, to add that type of receiver to the room, and that one makes all the sense in the world as well. Maybe a little higher price than than what you would think, but um, I, we, I, you've talked about it. You can see Josh Reynolds here in 2021. I I have it. I wanted to make sure it was written. I wrote it down in the roster projection that I posted on like December 2nd when we were like, <laughs> screw this season. <laughs> I made sure his name was in there. It just it, it just it feels like such a flush pick. Yeah. Um, you know, with with where they could end up. So yeah, so that is a uh, very much possible. All right. Uh, reminder to everybody: uh, we are going to have a special Growler edition where we talk about Willie Anderson, the future of his Hall of Fame case, the role Pro Football Focus can play. That story that I have is up on the site now. If you're not a subscriber, uh, we highly recommend it. Um, you just go click on the link and you can pick up a subscription. Great deals going on all the time. Um, you get everything under one wing, NBA, NHL, Premier League, although I am in a bad place with Everton right now. Reading, re, re, reading I, I, trying to feel better reading my guy Patty Boyland over there covering Everton. And I, and he, he, it, it helps just to read, but like, oh, Dropping an egg against Newcastle this weekend just had me in a bad place. I was on with our good friends, Huday UK. They had me on yesterday. And I told Paul, who runs their podcast, I said, you just, you got to give me space today. Give me space to air out some Everton grievances. I haven't been able to talk about it. I'm really frustrated by what happened this weekend. And I just, I just got to let me do it. And you're, and he, and God bless his heart, he did. He let me just go on a, a Everton rant, despite all the people, uh, we're listening to that Bengals podcast over there who probably couldn't give in two hoots about Everton, but you know what? Thank you for letting me do that. But I was, I was in a bad place with them. But you, you can read all that coverage, everybody in the Premier League. Um, 
you know, all under uh, one cost here with The Athletic. So highly recommend subscribing if you don't. You can do that on any of the links for any of our stories. Jay has a story up on conversation with Leonardo Rumo. First time we've talked to him uh, since uh, the season ended. We have the Shaq Barrett story. Uh, all kinds of stuff up right. And, of course, Dane Brugler is on fire right now with all his draft stuff, senior bowl recaps, all the breakdowns from all the trades going on. You name it. We've got all the coverage up right now for you. Trent is getting going with red stuff as they maybe make a move at some point. I don't know. They're thinking not. about it. Yeah, they're considering it, you know. Uh, so all that is there for you. Highly recommend subscribing. We'll have the Growler episode uh, on Thursday for you where we talk about Willie Anderson's Hall of Fame case. So uh hope you will stop back for that and hope everybody enjoys the Super Bowl this weekend too. Uh, get your growler bets in now. So all right. Thanks everybody. We'll talk to you later this week on the on the growler. And have a good morning, Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.